From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. And we're in the house. Yes, we are here, people. I have my crack team of Rob. Rob, how are you this evening? Sven, I'm great. I am absolutely great. Yeah. You, you, Sven, are the Fab Four all in one. And I am George Martin. I tell you what, what is the Fab Four without George Martin? You're doing all right. And let's see if Casey has anything to say tonight. Casey? Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> KC has nothing to say tonight. Um, as per usual, yeah, she's flipping me off. Anyway, uh, we are in the house. We've got a lightning round tonight, and we're all very excited. I want to thank everyone who's tuning in from around the world. Uh, I know at the moment, uh, because we're doing a lightning round, I've been checking people in and, and sort of seeing where everybody's coming in from. We've got folks from the UK, from Algeria, from Queensland, Australia, from Grand Rapids, Minnesota. We've got people in from Ohio. We've got folks in from Bradenton, Florida, and across the U.S., and of course, Canada. I've always got my faithful Canadians, Newfoundland and, and Edmonton and so forth. And it's just really great to have everyone here uh, this evening. We're at a lightning round. We're hitting them hit fast. We're hitting them hard. I'm going to give a somewhat of a little structure tonight, but I'm open to anything, as you know. And the little structure tonight is holidays. Holidays. We got a, a holiday episode coming up where I'm going to be... Uh, doing some counseling uh, with someone going through some holiday issues. But tonight it's lightning round. So holidays, issues you might have around uh, the holidays, but I am open to anything. All right. Lay it on me. What have you got? How do I deal with a mom who puts her childhood trauma on me as her daughter? How do you deal with a mom who does that? Honestly, it's like dealing with anyone else. At some point, you have to set a boundary. And you set a boundary by putting out there what you want and what you no longer want. See, part of the problem, it often takes us so long to begin to establish boundaries with parents, is that we don't have the courage, we don't have the strength, we don't even really know there's a problem. When you're born, the parent has all the fucking power. They might as well be God. They have all the power. And, and, and so what that means is whatever you experience, the child, whatever the child experiences, the child experiences as normal. And it takes the pain of a situation not being normal, not feeling good, extended over a period of time before the child, it really registers in that teen child, in that adult child, that this isn't okay. But it often takes even longer before that now adult child finds the courage to stand up and say no. I have clients in their 40s, 50s, 60s who still can't say no to a parent who can't set that boundary. And you want to know why it often is? Because often they're afraid to hurt the parents' feelings. Think about that. They've spent their whole lives, and if you're doing that fucking 35 or 52, worried about your parents' feelings, and I can't really put my truth out there because mom will be fall apart or dad will get pissed or whatever. So you don't put your fucking truth out there. So think about that. If you're doing that at 35, you've been doing that your whole life. You didn't just start doing that out of nowhere. And I don't mean just the normal being concerned about how another person receives something. I'm talking about uh, the most or one of the most significant people in your lives, that you in your life that you feel you can't even put your fucking truth out there. Now, that shit's been going on forever, which indicates it's been about mom's feelings the whole fucking time. So the question was, how do I deal with a mom who puts her childhood trauma on me as her daughter? 
you finally have the courage to say no. And I can all but guarantee you, Corona in a bottle who asked this question, I can all but guarantee you, if you say, mom, you can't do this to me anymore. All right, I, I can't, I don't want it, or I can't handle it, or you need to get a therapist, but I'm not going to listen anymore. You need to have the courage to not only put the boundary out there, but follow through. And it's the follow through that's the tricky part because you are gonna get pushback and your mom isn't going to change overnight. And so you've gotta be willing to stand up. And at some point, what motivates the action and sustains the action of you holding your boundaries is your belief that you actually fucking matter. Because your whole, if, you're, if you've been eating mom's trauma your whole life, you've been getting the message that you don't matter. And until you actually matter to you, you're not gonna be able to stand up and hold your boundary. And that's a courageous act. And I you know, give you a double thumbs up in finding the courage to do that. Next question. And so Lacey follows up. She says, glad this topic came up. So I guess Lacey and Corona in a bottle must be in cahoots tonight because Lacey says, I'm glad this came up. When I do express myself to my mom, she gets angry and stops talking to me. All right. This is the power shit that I've told you guys about before that very often in our relationship in life, relationships, particularly the significant ones, it's not always true, but in some of the significant ones, particularly ones with parents, there's a power imbalance. One person has more power, is above the other person. And they want to maintain that because the person in the power position is getting their needs met. They're fundamentally the taker. And the person in the subject position, in the lower position, is the giver. And if you've got a parent who is basically the taker and is expecting you to fundamentally pour love into their love cup, they're going to do everything in their power to maintain that relationship because they're getting their needs met and they're not really interested in meeting your needs or your wants. And so what happens when the person in the lower position escalates their power and says no, or stands up and says, you can't do this anymore, or pulls away, then the person in the power position is going to do what? escalate even further as a means to get their foot right back on your fucking throat. And so this is why it's not just the setting of boundaries. The setting of boundaries isn't where the rubber hits the road. It's the maintaining. It's the holding the position. It's the not backing down, even as Lacey says, when mom gets angry and stops talking to you. And you've got to be okay with that because something in you doesn't like it when your mom stops talking to you. And I'm betting you feel disapproval, which is what you've been conditioned to feel your whole life when you don't meet mom's approval. And until you are willing, and this goes for anything, people, until you can look at the uh, likely outcome that you're so afraid of and say, and ask the question, will I be okay? Until you can ask that question and answer in the affirmative, I mean, yeah, it'll suck. Yeah, I'll grieve. Yeah, it'll make me uncomfortable and I'll need to journal out my feelings and talk to my therapist about it or flush it out with a best friend whom I can trust. Yes, I will grieve, but I'll be okay. And once you can look at that eventuality you fear the most, whether it's fear of failure, fear of being alone, or in this case, fear of your significant uh, parent not talking to you, once you can face that and realize I'll be okay, everything changes. Why? Because you're finding your own power. You're no longer afraid of that which you've been afraid of the whole fucking time. Next question. All right, here we go. How to support teens with abusive uh, their dad? Uh, They want relationship with him, but he won't change. Um, 
you say they're, I'm, it's a little bit of a muddy sentence, but you're basically saying their father is abusive. First of all, uh, they want to be with him. They want a relationship with him, but he is abusive. Now I'm going to take you at face value on that, that it's not just, gee, I don't like how it is. So I'm going to call it abusive. You're using the word abusive. So I'm going to assume that it actually is abuse. That being said, you have a responsibility to protect that child. You have a responsibility if they are not safe, you have a responsibility to do everything in your power to get them the fuck out of that situation. That's one. And the truth is, if they're teens and, and not of age, it's not their decision. If they are being put in a situation where they are being abused, you have an obligation to get them the fuck out of there. At the very least, however, if the court will not support that, if you can't get that enacted in court, and, and remember, you use the word abuse, all right? Your primary job is to protect your fucking child because if you don't, you are normalizing it. You are teaching your children that this is what love is, that they have an obligation to eat this shit, all right? So if for some reason you are not able to keep that child from the abusive position, then you have every responsibility to inject a counter message to the father's message that this is okay, that it's okay for him to do this. If he's not going to change and you can't get them out of it, then you have an obligation to say, this is not okay. The way your father treats you is not okay. This is abuse. You have to name it for them because the real, where the real fucking rubber will hit the road is if you don't offer that counter message to your children, your children are going to come to you when they're, let's say in their twenties or maybe their thirties, and they're going to begin to see life with adult eyes. And they're going to begin to see their father for who he is. But they're also going to see you for what you did in this. And if you did nothing to counter-message it, to denormalize it, you will be just as culpable. Because you're allowing it. And not only allowing it, you're allowing them to believe that this is what love is. You're allowing them to believe that this is what family is, that this is what a father is, that this is what it means to be a child. And it's none of those things. Abuse does not fit into any of those definitions. Next question. All right. The narc is begging for forgiveness. Would you think if I ask, he gets therapy? Bad decision? Um, all right, I'm going to read it one more time. The narc is begging for forgiveness. Would you think that if I ask, uh, he'll get therapy or is that a bad decision? No, you can always ask, do I think he'll do it? No, I, I, <laughs> um, first of all, as, as you guys well know with me, I'm not a big fan of the word narcissist, mainly because I'm not a psychologist. So I don't diagnose clinical narcissism. All right. I believe in a different word clause, extreme taker. Extreme taker. Now, as you also know, I uh, studied both Koine and classical Greek in college and both in uh, graduate school as well. So I'm, and I've studied the classics. So I'm well familiar with the origins of narcissism, narcissus, echo, all of that. Um, but you call the person a narc, and, and that's a word that gets thrown around a lot, a narcissist in our culture a lot. And so I'm just going to take it at face value. All right. And so generally speaking, when people think of narcissists, um, you know, this is not a person who's going to get fucking therapy. Why? Because it's all about them. They're extreme takers. Why would I concede if I'm a narcissist, if I'm an extreme taker, why would I concede that there's anything wrong with me? No, I'm not going to fucking do that. I'm just going to keep taking. 
And if you won't give what I want, I'm going to go bouncy, bouncy, bouncy like Tigger. I'm just going to go bouncy, bouncy on to the next person. All right. I did a great fucking TikTok on this, um, on, you know, interactions break up from a narcissist and gee, how come I'm down? But the narcissist doesn't seem to be down at all. And they've just moved on to the new relationship. How can it be? How can it be? Because a narcissist can't afford to be down because that, that means admitting that they're hurt, which they already don't do. And it means admitting that maybe there's something wrong with me, which they're never going to fucking do. So back to your question, the narcissist is begging for forgiveness. Would you think if I ask, he'll get therapy? Is that a bad decision? Okay, if he's begging for forgiveness, it really leads me to wonder, what the hell is he begging for forgiveness for? If he's begging, I'm guessing probably cheated or did some really fucking egregious shit. Now, if he cheated, would I recommend you go back to him? No, you wanna know why? In fact, not at all. You wanna know why? Because you also say, if he goes to therapy. So if he's begging to get back and he's cheated, that means he hasn't done therapy yet. You don't get back with a cheater if they haven't done deep fucking therapy. And I don't mean four to six weeks of it. I mean like six to nine months of it at a minimum. Do you wanna know why? Because what's driving cheating, they'll claim it's every bullshit answer. They'll say it's the, the marriage or they'll say it's, oh gee, I, I just crave sex so much. It's no, 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 it's childhood shit. I wrote a two volume motherfucking book on cheating. All right, it's titled I Steal Wives. You can get it at my website, uh, badasscounseling.com. A cheater's gonna fucking do something and it may not be actual sexual cheating or even emotional cheating, but let's change the definition of cheating to they'll engage in some behavior that has the power to explode the relationship if it's discovered. They'll gamble away the, the family fortune. They'll in start hitting the bottle. They'll start overworking so they don't have to come home. They'll do something at some point. Do you wanna know why? Because they haven't healed the original problem, which is their fucking miserable ass childhood. Always, always. So if somebody, if this guy fucking cheated on you, Electro Jess, you say the narc is begging for forgiveness, what the fuck did he do? And if he cheated, no, absolutely don't. <laughs> and, and the problem, but I'm gonna answer the other part of your question. You said, would you think if I ask, he'll get therapy, you know, and is that a bad decision? Let him get therapy. Ask, don't just ask. The mere fact that you say ask, he's begging for forgiveness. He, he, he's subjecting himself to you. He's humbling himself. He's creating a power imbalance. And narcissists don't often do that. And they'll do it temporarily till they get what the fuck they want. So he's creating a power imbalance, feigning fucking contrition. Or maybe he is really sad. And you're saying, ask? He hurt you so much that he has to beg for forgiveness. And you're saying you want to ask him to get therapy? Fuck no. You fucking insist he get therapy. And here's the tricky part. See, the mere fact that you're asking says that you're in a loop with an extreme taker and very, very likely you're an extreme giver. You're a person who doesn't believe a lot in your worth because you're asking someone who has significantly wronged you. They've wronged you to the degree that they're actually begging for forgiveness. A narcissist who begs, oh, they must have done something seriously wrong and he wants to get back to that point where he has power over you. So the mere fact you're asking him to get therapy says you're not exercising your power in a wise way. You don't have to be hurtful with your power, but I would demand, if I were in your shoes, I would fucking demand he go to therapy and I would, I would go no contact until he had been in therapy a minimum, minimum of six months. But you can't do that, can you, Electro Jess? You can't because somewhere in you, you want him too. And so it'll be very easy. And when they start yammering, when somebody fucking starts selling and selling and selling, oh, I want you back, I've changed, I'll do everything. They're selling, selling, selling. That's the mark of a bad salesman. When they're constantly talking, 
They're overselling. They're trying too hard. They're forcing it. That's somebody who's coming from a weakened position. And no, you don't ask him for therapy. Absolutely not. You tell him, listen, you're going to therapy. And if you don't go to fucking therapy for a minimum of six months, we're not getting back together. Now let's see how bad he wants it. Because it's easy to beg and plead and cajole in the moment or for a few weeks. Really? But do you have the fucking desire, the passion for me that'll sustain that therapy for six fucking months? Hell, start with a minimum of three months. And let's see. And if he box, he's full of shit. And he's just trying to get you back under his fucking thumb. But here's the thing. Sometimes in life, we got to go back into a relationship because our heart isn't done yet. And furthermore, we likely haven't done our own work of getting out all of our pain and all of our fears and so forth. All right. So sometimes we go back in. But here's the thing, and they look like they've changed all their behaviors, but until you drive the core beliefs and change those core beliefs that are driving those behaviors, then that behavior change isn't going to last, which is why you guys hear me say all the time, trying to change behaviors never changes behaviors long-term. Hear me? Trying to change behaviors never changes behaviors long-term. You have to change those core beliefs that are driving the behaviors. And so that's why I say until you're this man that you want back has been in therapy and really gone deep, uh, he hasn't changed. He's just selling. And sometimes we have to go back in multiple times and then get out and then go back in. I had a, a client once tell me, uh, she came to me after she had been in and then out of the relationship 13 times, 12 and a half, because I was helping her. Uh, get out. And she said, you know, she just couldn't unhook herself and we managed to do it. She went on with her life. But now you have all the power now. Last point for electro Jess, you have all the fucking power. You have no need to ask him to go to therapy. You require it and you demand it. Then you'll see and see if he sustains that. And don't give him, <laughs> don't give him anything, just demand it. But you've got to hold firm until he begins to prove it over a period of time. All right. Now let's take a quick break. I'll be right back with more Badass Counseling. Don't you hate it when you go home for the holidays and your family members can't stop talking about how lazy the newer generations are? Do you ever feel like you or they would be so much better off if some of that generational shit in your love cups got cleared out so you can actually enjoy yourselves? There's a Hole in My Love Cup is on sale now on Amazon and makes the perfect stocking stuffer or gift around the menorah for those you love but want to just shut the fuck up or for those of you who'd rather spend the holidays at home snuggled up by a fire with a good read. Happy Holidays from Badass Counseling. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. All right. Yeah. These are great questions. I love this shit. This was originally supposed to be somewhat of a holiday episode if anybody had issues around the holidays. And we're going down all sorts of rabbit holes. And I love it. You guys are keeping me on my fucking toes. All right. Here's a quickie from Judy Friels. 22. Best friend dropped me after she moved away. No explanation. No falling out. It hurts. Do I reach out? Well, Julie Friels, I say you wouldn't be asking, do I reach out unless you wanted to reach out? It wouldn't even be a blip on the radar. So the mere fact uh, that you want to, I say, fuck yeah, reach out. You really don't have anything to lose. I mean, you, you already feel loss. You already feel pain. You already feel sadness. And the mere fact that you're considering not reaching out or you're tentative about reaching out, I'm guessing is at least in part because you fear the answer. Or you fear she may not answer. Your friend 
may not answer, or you fear it may be some sort of negative response. But the bottom line is, you had someone walk away from you, not give a reason, and it hurts. And so whether you reach out, there's nothing wrong with reaching out. Just reach out and say, hey, I miss you. How, how have you been? You know, start with that. Save the come to Jesus conversation where you say, hey, what the fuck, asshole? You know, save that one for a little further down the road, but reach out and see uh, how they're doing. And, see, and but, but be aware, is this person actually investing? Are they actually putting an effort or are they just kind of half blowing you off? But in a way, uh, part of you is, as I said, is very hurt. And you've got to get out your own feelings. You've got to flush that pain out because it's hurting you. You're sad, right? You're grieving. It's a loss. Loss of a friend? Come on. That's a significant loss. And so you've got to flush out your own pain, even for your own sanity. Sanity, whether you reach out to the other person or not, you've got to get your pain out of you. That's what journaling is for, counseling is for, having a friend or a family member that you trust that you can talk to about uh, your feelings. Um, because uh, it's not until it's out of you, it's still in you. All right, next question. How come he won't apologize anymore after disrespecting me and just acts like everything is normal? You want to know how come, honestly? And it's kind of a stinky answer, but because he can, because he can. And the truth is, if he's acting that way now, likely he's done it before, whether in smaller bites, medium or bites or bigger bites. But this is not a new thing, is it? Right. You're basically speaking of it as a pattern. Um, how come he won't apologize anymore after disrespecting me, which implies obviously he used to and doesn't anymore. He disrespects you and acts like everything is normal because you're not holding him accountable. And you may be calling him out on it, but you're not holding your ground. There's no consequence for doing it. And this is one of the things about life. This isn't blaming the victim, people, all right? And I get people saying, oh, that's blaming the victim. No, what it is, is that you have to be accountable for your offenses. I've been getting into this uh, TV series, Yellowstone. And uh, it's a great series. I love the show. The writing is fucking intense. The acting is brilliant. And I love it. And the scenery, it's shot in Montana. I mean, come on. It's such a majestic state. But they're always out mending the fences, right? That's what ranchers do. That's what farmers do. Anybody who has cattle uh, or horses, you're mending fences. Well, it's the same way in our lives. You have to maintain your boundaries. And if you don't, people will transgress. People will trespass onto your property. They will harm you. And if your husband is doing it now repeatedly, it means he's been doing it for a while and there's no repercussion. And the bottom line is until you stand up for you and until there is a price and you hold that line, he's not going to change. And so you're having to retrain someone how to teach you. And this is something I see with young people as well. I tell young clients who are in their late teens or early, mid, late 20s, you base, if your parents aren't changing to meet you becoming an adult, or if they're treating you in ways that don't feel good anymore, back when you were a kid, you had to eat it, but you don't have to eat it anymore. You basically have to retrain your parents in how you want to be treated because now you want to be treated better. <laughs> and so you have to retrain them. Well, it's the same way here uh, with your husband. Uh, you've got to retrain them. All right, next question. My husband lied for two years about being a Navy SEAL. I'm leaving him, but it's hard not to buy bull. Yeah. Um, first of all, has anybody reported your husband? Because that's actually a crime. Um, and, ugh, oh, Jesus. To steal the honor of the people who actually do that shit to me is just fucking disgusting. Um, anyway, to answer your question, I'm leaving him, but it's hard not to buy bull. I get it. You're in disconnect with your own inner voice, with your own intuition, because when we're in tune, when we have a clear vessel from our intuition coming up 
uh, into you know our brain and so forth. We sense when somebody's fucking lying. We do. It's like a ping on the sonar of a submarine. It's like ping, something feels off. And very often we buy into bull or we are disconnected from our sonar because there's pain packed on top of it from our life. And the way you become better in tune with your own tuition and less inclined to buy bull and the more easily you sense someone else's BS is by getting your own pain out and the, and the beliefs that are driving that pain or that were imprinted with that pain. And I talk about that uh, in my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, and I talk about that uh, in all my free videos that I put up on Instagram and TikTok and, and Facebook and et cetera, et cetera. All right, next question. Oh, here's a question. Does your hat say Ranker or Rocknar? Uh, it's hurting my brain. Well, I am in the business of brain pain alleviation. It says Rocknar. It's just my favorite... Um, bourbon whiskey, whiskey from my favorite distillery, Far North Spirits in Northern Minnesota. And uh, for those of you in my listening audience, the uh, people fire these questions at me uh, are actually, they can see me on video, even though my listeners cannot. And so they're reading my head. I have my stocking cap on, or as my Canadian friends would say, my toque. And uh, it says Rocknar on it. And it's from the distillery is Far North Spirits, my father's hometown. My father passed away a few years ago at the age of 93. Grew up there on the plains of Minnesota. And it would be 30 below with a 70 below wind chill on early on a Sunday morning. And they had to go to church in country church. And my dad, very often, his family was responsible for going and stoking the furnace an hour uh, before the rest of the parishioners got there. And it's four or five feet of snow, three, four, five feet. And dad and his brothers, when they were eight or 10 or 12, would have to go out and team up the horses in 30 below weather with the wind whipping down from Canada and pounding on little Hallock, Minnesota. And uh, so I'm quite fond of, that's where my people, the Swedish Americans, my people, and a lot of Norwegians as well, settled up there. And so I wear it proudly. Uh, it's part of my history. All right. A uh, little divergence there, but you know, family history is important. Family, it, come on, Rob. Family's important, right? If you met my family, you would understand. <laughs> there, that's kind of cryptic. I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, I love Rob. So we're going to go with, uh, all right. I accept that as truth. All right, here we go. This is a great question. It's one I get frequently. This is from WS Rounds. Do I need to forgive my ex in order to move forward? Do we meet face-to-face -to, -face to release from my love? Those are great questions. And the truth is we've all gone through hard breakups where there's been love and, and we've moved on or tried to move on. We're broken up. How the fuck do I move on? What do I got to do to move on? And so I'm going to answer your first question. That's the easy one. Do I need to forgive my ex in order to move forward? No, no. And anyone who's pushing, you have to forgive in order to let go. Or you have to forgive for your own sake, even not for them. It's bullshit. Forgiveness isn't the point. And I don't believe that yeah, forgiveness is the panacea or the tonic, the cure-all for getting over someone. I really don't. Because very often what forgiveness becomes is, you know what? I forgive them. I understand. Or I forgive them. I need to do it for myself. Well, what happens with all the pain that's inside of you? What happens to the fucking rage that they hurt you? What happens to the disappointment, the betrayal, the sense of abandonment? What happens to all those feelings? Do you want to know what happens when we force or do prematurely a forgiveness? Forgiveness is optional. When we do it prematurely, what happens to those feelings is, man, they get backed down. They get stuck down even deeper, which means 
you ain't healing. The goal isn't to forgive them. The goal isn't even necessarily to move on per se. The goal is to get the pain out. The goal is to heal your fucking self. Because until you heal yourself, you ain't moving on. You're just packing that shit down. And feelings that get packed down bite you in the ass later. Guaranteed. Whether it's in your next relationship or in your career or in your personal life or in your friendships or in your family, pack down feelings bite you in the ass. They destroy lives, which is why so many people have so much turmoil, a uh, hole inside, uh, life problems, depression, anxiety in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, because all the pain from back there. Childhood. Pack down pain. Pack down fears. Pack down bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself. So until you get that shit out, forgiveness is, is silly. It's, it's, you're, you're just playing dress up. You're just playing pretend. It doesn't fucking work because I guarantee people say, oh, it does work. I just forgave and it's gone. No, it's not. You just packed your feelings down further. Guaranteed. So you have to flush out those feelings. And your second question is, do we need to meet face to face to release me from my love? No, not at all. You don't have to see him, her. You don't have to talk to him or her. You don't have to do anything except be focused on releasing your pain, your fears, and the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself and keep flushing. One of the things I recommend, you guys have heard me say this a million times, write a letter that you do not send, write a letter to your ex-love, right? And flush everything out. And the reason I say don't send it, because if you think you're going to send it, or maybe you'll give it to him, you're going to edit that fucking letter. Oh, he wouldn't like to hear this. Or, oh, if, she, if I told her this, it would hurt her feelings. Or, oh, I'm afraid to say this to him. No, 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 no. It's not about their response. This is about you flushing out all of your feelings. And a letter, anybody can write a fucking letter. Even if you can't journal or think you can't journal, you can write a fucking letter. So you write a fucking letter. You, you know, have a glass of wine, sit down with it, or a cup of coffee, or get in your like mellow place, go out into the woods, whatever you got to get to be able to get in the space where you can just flush out all your feelings. You're fucking sobbing and you're raging and you're flushing and do it in the strongest language possible. You fucking asshole. Why did you da 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 da? I love you so much. My heart is breaking da da da. You write that fucking letter and you flush and you flush and you flush. And if you want to sign it, I love you so much. I can't ever, you know, leave you. Fine. Sign it with that. You want to sign it? Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Sign it with that. All right. And then you know what you do? First of all, go burn it or keep it. Doesn't matter. I mean, as long as it's safe and no one will ever find it or use it against you. But then in a week, in a day, in a month, when all those feelings are welling up again, you write another letter. Now, normally I recommend daily journaling because it's much more methodical. It's much more disciplined, but the letter writing, you've got to keep flushing the feelings until the feelings are out of you. That is the only thing that's going to release you from your love. You meeting your love face to face, that's not going to release anything. I mean, sure, you might put your feelings out there, but you're still staying looped in. If you want to meet your lover face to face, go for it. Who gives a shit? But the bottom line is that's not going to heal you until you get all of your feelings out. The mere fact that you say, you say you're still in the throes of your love, that you want to be released from it, says you have strong love in your heart. And I don't believe that one meeting is going to make that go away. If anything, it will probably inflame it. All right. Next question, fine humans. How do you hold space slash love for a partner who isn't holding themselves accountable in the relationship? A uh, couple of things to say to this. You're responsible for holding your partner accountable in the relationship, and they are responsible for holding themselves accountable in the relationship, okay? Um, so if someone, the first time, the second time, the third time, they're not holding themselves accountable for how they treat you, that's when you start bringing the hammer down. You got to nip that shit in the bud. You can't let that go to the seventh time and the 27th time because that's where the person just begins to fucking mow you down. 
You've got to allow it maybe once, twice, but it, after that, you're beginning to see a pattern and you have to nip that shit in the bud. But that wasn't your question. You asked, how do I hold love for a partner? How do I keep, you're basically asking me, how do I keep loving someone who's being a fucking asshole to me? I mean, that's what you said. How do I hold space love for a partner who isn't holding themselves accountable in the relationship? How do I keep loving someone who's being a dick? Yeah, right? <laughs> the mere fact that you're asking, how do I keep, holding space. How do I hold space for this person? And it implies that it's getting harder and harder for you to do so. In other words, they're fundamentally, whether they're aware of it or not, and maybe subconsciously they are, but whether they're aware of it or not, they're fucking driving you away. And you're like, what the fuck do I do? Because I'm feeling my feel, I'm beginning to have mixed feelings or I'm feeling my feelings of love dwindling away. What the fuck do I do? How do I hold on? How do I keep holding love? And what's interesting is that implies that you feel your grip slipping. And in all honesty, the best and really only thing you can do is to put your truth out there. Just say, here's how you're treating me. I don't, I'm not going to allow it anymore. And then just watch how they respond. If they respond with, you know what, you're right, and I need to change, and then they begin to change, my response, great, thank you. You've just shown me who you are. If they respond with, I don't know what you're talking about. No, it didn't happen. No, I don't need to change. You do. Thank you. You've just shown me who you are. The problem isn't that they're not changing. The problem is that you don't want to fully see how they're acting and the impact it's having on you. You don't want to fully admit, and it's okay because it's scary when you've been in a relationship for a while, you don't really want to admit that, holy shit, this is their new normal and that this relationship may be done and I may actually have to do the work of walking away. And uh, so you've got some work to do on yourself there. But I say just put your truth out there. And at some point, the sucky part of, you know, Buddhist teaching, and I'm not Buddhist, but I'll fucking steal from the Buddhist. I'll steal from anybody if it's good shit. You know, they talk about awareness, right? And the sucky part of becoming more and more aware, not just of what's going on around me, but what's going on inside of me, the sucky part of awareness is that now you can't fucking unsee it. You know, it's like, oh, shit. And you see it and you see it and you see it again. And you not only see what they're doing, you see how you're feeling. It's like, this fucking sucks. This fucking sucks. He's doing it again. This fucking sucks. Oh man, she's being an asshole again. She's walking all over me in conversation. She just doesn't care what I have to say. Yeah, you're seeing it. You're seeing it. You're seeing it. And the truth is you can't keep seeing something that's painful to yourself. You can't keep seeing it and seeing it and feeling it and feeling it without it fundamentally draining your soul. And you begin to have the realization that I need to start planning my exit because I've put my needs out there and my wants out there and they're not fucking changing. All right. Next one, people. I do not want a relationship with my mother-in-law. <laughs> There's no equivocation there. She's very clear. I do not want a relationship with my mother-in-law. What do I do for the holidays when my kids want her there? Um, that's a tricky one. Now we're getting into family shit. Now we're getting into holiday shit. Uh, the question is, what do you do? Your kids want her there and you don't. My question to you would be, and this would, you know, re require a follow-up question. I'll, I'll answer it as it stands. But my question would want to be is that I would want to ask is what specifically is it about her that causes you to not want a relationship with her? Is it how she interacts with you? Is it how she interacts with your kids? And let me, so let's go with the latter. If it's something about how she interacts with her kids, because I know pl I know plenty of clients whose parents treat their children as bad or worse than they treated them. So if you have a, a mother-in-law 
A grandparent who is mistreating your children, you have an obligation to the children. Regardless of whether the children want them there or not, you have an obligation to protect your child. First and foremost, protection. Food, water, shelter, protection. That's your fundamental fucking duty. Um, so if uh, she's in some way uh, damaged short-term or long-term to your children, you have an obligation to keep her the fuck away from the kids and just say it's not going to work out to the kids this time. Um, and you say, in the way you pose the question is, what do I do for the holidays about the mother-in-law? My kids want her there. So the point of conflict in turning her away is not that you'll get blowback from her, clearly, or you're okay with that blowback. You're worried about not wanting to disappoint your kids or potentially getting uh, flack from your kids. What do you do from the holidays? If you don't want her there, if you and your husband don't want her there, obviously, you know, you talk it out with your husband and assuming he is willing to go along with it, um, you know, you turning away his family, if he's okay with that, and you believe it's in the best interests of Christmas for you and your family, because this is your family now. Your primary loyalty is to your family that you've created, you, your husband, and your kids. And unfortunately, um, kids don't always get what they want. And sometimes as kids, we can't see the whole thing. And it means telling them no, and you don't have to get into all the crap that you have regarding her. But if you feel the need to say no, and if your husband agrees with you and you believe this is an excellent team decision, then do what you gotta do. Um, but if you feel you need to eat one for the team for the sake of your kids or your husband wants his mother there, then you may do that, but there's gotta be boundaries. And if you, this person won't respect the boundaries or the rules that you put in place for your own fucking home, you have no obligation to have them in your home. I walk into somebody's house, I observe their rules. I take off my shoes. I, you know, mind my P's and Q's, whatever it is. And if your mother-in-law is someone you don't want in your home, you have every right to say no. All right. We'll be right back with more Badass Counseling right after this. I counseled with Badass Counseling for about four months and Sven completely turned my life around. He kicked my butt. No shit. He made me do homework too, but I was so ready for a change that I just did it all. I'm telling you, he changed my life. Thank you so much, Badass Counseling. What's the Badass Got Next? All right. Yes. What do I have next? <laughs> I have five older siblings, right? I'm the youngest of six kids. And uh, most of them are boys. And uh, <laughs> and so this referring to me as a badass, uh, they would find that laughable if they don't already. But what the hell? We're family. Ah, uh, fuck them. <laughs> and I say that in a loving way. I love my brothers and my sister. All right. I like this one. How do I handle a situation with my husband when they go out of their way to sabotage holidays? Uh, you shift from the singular to the plural. Uh, I'm going to assume when you say they go out of their way, I'm going to assume you're talking about your husband. Okay. Um, a little confusing. And I know with all the stuff going on nowadays, singulars become plurals, become singulars. I'm trying to be flexible here, people, but I'm 55 and I'm not real bright. So you uh, anyway, how do I handle a situation with my husband when they go out of their way to sabotage holidays? Uh, you, so clearly this is a pattern. You mentioned holidays uh, and going out of their way. Fucking hell, man. Somebody ruining a situation is someone being deliberately hurtful, especially something as significant as holidays. Um, you have to stand up, not back down. You have to hold your ground. You have to hold them accountable. And it sucks because there's going to be blowback. If someone's going out of their way 
Do you know what we call that when someone's going out of their way to sabotage? And by sabotage, that's inflicting pain. Clearly, that's what's implied in the word sabotage. To undo things, to undermine things. And you mentioned going out of their way. Not just they sort of let it happen or they do it a little bit. They're going out of their way. This is someone being deliberately hurtful. And you know what we call that? Deliberate hurtfulness? Malice. Someone's being fucking malicious towards you. And it's someone under your own roof. It's your person who claims to love you most is going out of his way to hurt you. Forgive me for asking the obvious question, but why the fuck are you with this person? Why would anybody stay in a relationship, a friendship, a parent relationship, a child relationship, a fucking um, love relationship, a work situation? Why would you stay in a relationship where someone is being deliberately hurtful, where someone is uh, inflicting malice, malice on you? I, and very often, and we've all been there, I think we've all done it at one time or another. We've allowed someone to be deliberately hurtful to us, take advantage of us, be mean to us. And the bottom line is at some point we have to find our power at some point. And how do we find our power? How do we find our strength? That the pain gets so bad that we reach what I call the fuck it point. I talk about it in my book. I talk about it uh, in uh, TikTok videos. Uh, The fuck it point is where the pain has finally gotten so bad, so persistent that you reach a point and it's, it's not something you think about or hope for or want or try to figure out. The fuck it point is something you just, all of a sudden you just know and you've been putting it off. And up till that point, it's like, what should I do? What should I do? You've been wringing your hands and you know, what should I do? I'm not sure that, and then when, once you reach the fuck it point, the pain has gotten so bad that all of a sudden you have the courage to do what just yesterday you didn't have the courage to do. All of a sudden you have the clarity of the path you need to take where yesterday there was only fog and confusion. Once the pain gets bad enough, you'll reach that fucking point. It's like, fuck it, I don't even give a shit anymore. Fuck this shit. Nobody gets to treat me maliciously. But you haven't reached that point, have you, Lindsay? You're still allowing your husband to go out of his way to sabotage your holidays. You are still allowing someone to be malicious, deliberately hurtful towards you, which indicates you've got a lot of pain inside that you think you have to allow this. Somewhere in your life, this was normalized for you, that this is how you're supposed to act. And so what has to happen inside of you is you have to heal. You have to start getting that pain out and that crud out and the belief you were taught that this is what you deserve, that you deserve someone uh, who treats you with malice and nobody deserves that. And until you heal that shit, you are living your life on someone else's bullshit agenda. All right, next question. Uh... Newlywed and husband lives in another country. Lately, I've been bothered by him going out with his friends. Um, All right, let me ask you a simple question. What is it about lately him going out with his friends? Does that imply that previously when he would go out with his friends, you weren't bothered by it? It seems to imply that to me. Or is it that previously he wasn't going out with his friends? Seems hard to believe. Um, If he's going out now, it would seem to imply that he's been going out with his friends for quite some time. So my question becomes, why does it bother you now? Is it that you're actually sensing something, getting a ping on the sonar, that you're actually sensing he may be up to some shenanigans, which is why you'd be bothered, right? You're fearful of something happening. You're fearful of him cheating, I have to assume, all right? Are you actually getting deviations in his patterns of behavior? Or is this about your own fears of being away, all right? Uh, newlywed and he lives in another country. I'm guessing that when he would go out with his friends before the wedding, it didn't bother you as much. So there's something about now you are married. So in a way, the stakes are higher now. 
You've put your nuts out there, so to speak. You put your heart on the line. And so the price is higher now. The risk is greater. But if this is about your fear, then you need to work on your fears and you need to go inside and flush out all those fears. Start journaling that shit out. But if you're getting a ping on the sonar, you actually, you have to address that with him. But you cannot, especially if you've got someone who lives in a foreign country and uh, spouses live in foreign countries for any number of reasons. Um, so that's, you know, that's not horribly unusual, uh, but the only, but if this is about your fear, it's just going to suck the fucking life out of your relationship. If it's not based in some measure of reality or something you're seeing in his behavior or his words that indicates something might be going on. But if you're not seeing that, it's just your fear. You have to start flushing that out because that's you being the problem. All right. And that'll infect the relationship as much as anything else, as much as malice, which I was just talking about. Fear can do just as much damage. All right. Okay, Crystal, 8772 asks, how do you cut ties with an adoptive parent who was and still is abusive? Oh, geez. Um, you know, this is really a great question because I guess my response, if we were in session, Crystal, if we were hanging out having beers, I'd ask you the question, why would cutting off, in you, for you personally, Crystal, why would cutting off an adoptive parent be any different from cutting off a new acquaintance uh, or someone, let's say you've known a year, who's becoming a real fucking asshole to you, okay? Where there's a pattern and they're just being a real fucking jerk to you. Why would this be any different? Now, I'm betting your response would be, well, because it's my parent. Ah, right, right. You have far more invested, right? There are actually some sort of feelings there. Either you feel obligated because they parented you and they adopted you, right? Either you feel obligated or you actually have feelings of love. All right. So they did some things nice that caused them to endear themselves to you. All right. Or you feel obligated in either case. Basically, whatever the pain is that they've caused you, it's not enough to outweigh your sense of obligation. It's not enough to outweigh those feelings of love you have. So what I would recommend, the mere fact that you're asking, how do I cut ties? implies obviously you want to cut ties you feel the need to cut ties or maybe you don't want to but you know you have to for your own safety for your own health for your own wellness for your own ability to move on with your fucking life so how do you do it <laughs> if you've got feelings of love in you still for that person you need to flush those out write letters that you don't send journaling that shit out seeing with your therapist or with your clergy person or whoever it is that you talk to you need to be flushing out all your feelings or of love, but if it's, if it's a sense of obligation, you have zero obligation in any relationship to someone who is abusing you. I mean, except for in the most extreme cases where it's a child and there's perhaps some sort of mental illness or something like that. All right, but you have no obligation to accept abuse from anyone, especially a parent. And so how do you cut ties? You say, listen, I've tried to tell you that the way you treat me hurts. I've tried to tell you this many times and you don't change. You don't think you're doing anything wrong or you don't want to see that you're doing anything wrong. And I'm not okay with that. And I'm moving on with my life and I'm moving on without you because until you can own the pain that you've caused, I don't want you in my life. And they're going to say, oh, fuck you. I didn't do anything wrong. You're the, da, 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 da. fuck it. You got to walk away anything. Anyway, it's one thing to put up a stand, but it's another thing to hold that position. And you have to have the courage to hold that position. What's going to give you the courage? It's looking at the worst case scenario. As I was talking about earlier in this lightning round, what's the worst case scenario? What is the eventuality? If you stand up and cut this adoptive parent out of your life, what is the eventuality you most fear happening? What is it? Put it in one sentence or fucking less. Don't make it a paragraph. Distill it down to its essence. What is the one sentence of the thing you most fear happening? Now, let me ask you this question. If that happens, will you be okay? I mean, you'll grieve. It'll be sad. It'll be painful. But will you be okay? 
And I'll bet the answer is yes. Okay, now all of a sudden, that eventuality, that isn't as scary. Now all of a sudden standing up and cutting off the adoptive parent, while tricky, while difficult, has to be done. And it's like, worst case scenario, even if they rage on me, it's just like, in a way, they've just shown me why the hell I'm doing it in the first place. Uh, But you've got to be willing to accept the eventuality. You've got to be willing to accept that. All right. Um... Oh, this is great. I, I got to read it. There's no question here. I just love it. I just love it. McThickums. <laughs> and I, McThickums says, and, and, and this is great. God bless you, brother. It says, we could be rubbing beards, but no, you decided being straight was more important. <laughs> I love that. I love that. My gay brother, God bless you. Thanks. You, you put a good, uh, Put a good laugh here in the studio. <laughs> Casey's losing it over there. All right. All right. What if you struggle tapping into desire for your long-term relationship with kids? What if you struggle tapping into desire for your long-term relationship with kids? Now, I could be reading this incorrectly. And uh, Rob, catch me if you're reading this differently, all right? What if you struggle tapping into desire for your long-term relationship with kids? What I hear you saying is a part of you doesn't want to have a long-term relationship with your kids. You're, You're struggling tapping into it. In other words, I can't, I'm not feeling a sense of desire. No matter how hard I try to desire a long-term relationship with my kids, I don't want it. Wow. There's been some trauma. Am I reading it right, Rob? That sounds right to me. Thanks, Rob. Um, There has to have been some major shit that went down between you and your kids. If you're tapping into, uh, finding it difficult to tap into your uh, long-term relationship with your kids. However, there are also situations um, that where uh, a person can have, I know, uh, in uh, my sister-in-law is a NICU nurse, neonatal nurse, and uh, she has educated me as have friends and clients over the years uh, on uh, and ex-wife uh, who had bore my children that there are things that happens with a woman post-birth you know, and hormones and, and, uh, you know, postpartum depression and so forth. So there are things that go on inside of a woman uh, where, you know, there's, there is a sense of distance, but I'm in no way any sort of expert or even fucking remote, even remotely intelligent on the topic, but I know there is that. So I'm going to go with it uh, as as it lays, play the ball as it lays. What if you struggle tapping into your desire for your long-term relationship, you know, with your kids, in all honesty, I would recommend sitting down with a piece of paper and a pen and assume you're going to burn this piece of paper. Or if it turns into a notebook, assume you're going to burn it and no one's ever going to see it and make sure it's safe. All right. But I would strongly recommend flushing out what your real feelings are. If you were sitting right here right now and we were having a whiskey, Uh, I would ask you, what is it you're afraid to feel? What is it you really do feel that maybe you don't want to admit? Because it's those feelings, the ugly ones, that are packed on top of your desire to have a relationship with your kids. And then I'd want to know where are those ugly feelings coming from? Tell me about what happened. Because the truth is, it's it's a very natural response, generally, not exclusively, or not always, but generally, to feel love and want a relationship with your child, your adult child. And so if you don't want one, that indicates to me there's been some fucking pain and you need to flush that out and find the origin of that and begin to heal yourself, even if you never have a relationship with your child. And it sounds fucking heinous to say, 
but you are not obligated to have a relationship with anyone. You are an autonomous entity walking this earth. You're not obligated. That being said, it's your fucking kid. And you need to understand the enormous amount of pain that it causes a child, potentially an adult child, just as much when the parent doesn't want a relationship, right? So if you're okay inflicting that pain and knowing that you're, you might as well write off that relationship forever. If you choose to walk away, you're fucked. And recognize that also they don't then have to give you a relationship with their kids if they ever have them one day. You don't get to tell the parent to fuck off and then, you know, seek to be with the grandchild. All right. So, I mean, you can do it. It's free world. Well, sadly it's not, but um, in many countries it's free. And if you don't want to have a relationship with your child, that's, you're right. And I hate to say those words. I hate that they're even coming out of my mouth. But the bottom line is, if you were here right now, I would want to know what the fuck caused this because I guarantee it's some massive fucking pain. And I would want to know if that pain is native to your relationship with the child or if it comes from somewhere else in your fucking past and it's clouding your relationship and now potentially obstructing your relationship with your child. But you got some serious fucking deep diving to do, Faith. What, what if you struggle tapping into your desire for your long-term relationship with your kids implies that you want one. So there's some shit in there and you have to get that shit out. And if you're not in fucking counseling, you need to be. And or you need to be doing hardcore fucking journaling because that's serious shit. And if you choose to walk away from your child, you take that fucking decision massively seriously and you put in a lot of fucking forethought and you do your fucking therapy on yourself first before you ever make that fucking decision. All right, I'm gonna take one more here. All right. Midnight asks, why was she able to move on immediately after we agreed to seek divorce? And I'm stuck. <laughs> this is, uh, this. I've put up a video on TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, my favorite Facebook uh, badass counseling account. And I did a video on breaking up with a narcissist. And I really want you to go and check that one out. Because it's it's it turned out really well, and I've gotten a lot of good feedback on that. That it, it it connects the dots for people, and it addresses this question: Why was she able to move on immediately after we agreed to seek divorce? And I'm stuck. If someone is able to move on immediately after deciding on divorce, they've likely either a been checking out of the relationship for a long time, and they've been doing their grieving in advance, and sort of their letting go in advance, and or. They've never touched their grief. They don't want to touch their grief. They can't bear to touch their grief. They can't bear to look at and truly feel all the feelings that go along with their relationship with you. This is a mark of an extreme taker, you know, and this is someone who can't bear to touch their pain. So this is a person who's always having surface relationships. They can't go deep because down deep means to have a deep relationship means you're revealing yourself. It's what I talk about in my book. I, anybody can be brutally honest. That's just pointing out, oh, this is what's wrong with you. This is what's wrong with you. You're a peckerhead. This is what's wrong with you. That's brutal honesty. It's just being a dick, pointing out what's wrong with other people. But radical honesty is what I call in my book is where I'm showing you what's wrong with me. Huh. Where I'm showing you all of me, as my mother would say, she's deceased, died at 93 a year ago. She always said to show another person, and this was her phrase, warts and all. Depth requires showing you my pain, showing you my ambitions, showing you my dreams, showing me the shit that scares me. 
And so the question becomes, so you're down now and they're bouncing along. Which bothers you more, that you're stuck or that they're bouncing along? They're going bouncy, 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 right on to the next thing. I bet that bothers you, doesn't it? Because it makes you feel like you didn't matter, that you weren't important. And it could very well be that either A, you weren't important to them, which is heartbreaking, or B, you were important to them, but they can't bear to feel it and touch it. But you're down and trust me when I tell you, that's a blessing. And you need to stay down and you need to flush out your pain all of the pain and the sadness and the betrayal and the frustration and depression and all that goes with it, you need to flush and flush and flush. Being down is a blessing as long as you're flushing out all the pain and all the crud that goes with it because that's how you heal yourself so that you're not carrying your crud into your next relationship precisely as your ex is doing. Sucks to be them. All right, guys, this has been a fantastic fucking kick-ass fucking lightning round. I had fun tonight. This was a fun one. Well, they're all fun, but this was particularly delicious. To all of you around the world, thank you for tuning in. On behalf of my master producers, Rob and KC, have a kick-ass night. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.